Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Welcome, everybody, to today's podcast. I'm Hayden Bullock, your host, and today we are talking about using a book in therapy, and I'm so excited because I use books all the time in therapy, have always used them, and even for my little most favorite people, the people who don't even really talk yet, I still use books all the time because I think they're always great. When in doubt, you can pull a book out usually and you can get something done. If you're a regular listener with us and would like to check out other podcasts that we've done, we are on Stitcher and iTunes and check out some other ones. We've done a lot of them. I think they're all great and exciting. Various topics for speech therapists, occupational therapists, physical therapists, parents, other professionals. There's lots of good stuff on there. So check us out and I'm sure you'll find something that you'd like listening to. So today, let's get on with this one right now, and today we are talking about using a book in therapy again, like I said, but we are joined by Kim Molnar and Candace Barber. Kim is an SLP. She's our blue team lead here at PDT, and we've done a couple of these podcasts together, but Kim, why don't you introduce yourself for everybody, maybe people who haven't heard you before? Okay. As Hayden said, I'm Kim Molnar. I'm a team lead here at Pediatric Developmental Therapy. I am a speech pathologist by trade, and I've spent 20 years in the schools practicing until I came on board here at PDT. Well, I'm glad you're here with us. It's always a fun day when we get to do this together. And, you know, you like the older little people. I like the younger people. Mm -hmm. Well, you like younger people, too. Yeah. Yeah. I like them all. Yeah, we're not age discriminatory. No. <laughs> I kind of, if you give me my druthers, you know, I usually go to the littler people. Earth to five, mm-hmm, when you say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So when they start talking, I send them to you. Correct. <laughs> I'll All take right. them. Well, then Candace is also with us. Candace, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Candace Barber. I'm a speech therapy assistant here at PDT, and I've worked for PDT for the past nine years. I actually did my clinicals with PDT. Then I've worked pretty much every contract site I think <laughs> that, right. that PDT has, but I have been in the schools the past four years. I love it. Yeah. It's a good day when you get to work with Candace. When we were thinking about ideas for this podcast and everything, immediately I was thinking that you and Kim should do this with me because, Candace, you're just so creative. Oh, I thanks. Mean, so creative. And Kim and I have talked about that before, but then also this is Kim's area as well. So I'm excited y'all are both here with us today. And I forgot you did your clinicals with us. I totally did. Oh. That was the CDC. Long, that was a really wow. Mm-hmm. We're lucky to have you in the schools and seeing our little people over there. And so let's get to this thing. First, using a book in therapy. So we have lots of different therapy techniques we can use, lots of different toys we can use. So why choose a book? You know, I think sometimes books get overlooked, but personally for me, I can adapt and do a lot of things with a book. So that's why I choose it. I don't know what y'all think about that. Definitely. And books, I mean, there's so many different parts and layers that you can do. They can be broken down to do different things, different goals at different levels. Mm -hmm. A lot of times I'll take a book and like stick Play-Doh on it and like, you know, we'll Mm -hmm. knock, knock and try to find whatever's underneath it. Just, I mean, so that's really, just get them to focus on the book or look at the pages. I'm talking about Mm -hmm. my little people again here. But um, Mm -hmm. but really, I think also books are good for parents too. I mean, you can go to the dollar store and get books, they're not an expensive toy. 
So this week, I actually was talking to a parent, and I was even talking to her about, like, the toy flyers that come in the mail or the newspaper ads and stuff like that. I mean, to me, those are count as books. I don't know if y'all have ever recommended one of those to any of your parents. But especially at Christmas time when all the toy flyers come out or the, you know, the Toys R Us big book, you can name things in there. You can look at those are always, to me, those count as books. I don't know. Have y'all ever recommended anything like that before? The toy flyers? No, I don't think so. But Mm -hmm. I think that's a great idea. It's a great idea. In regards to communication, when you think about it, starting with a book with one of your children that you see in the clinic or the schools or at a contract site, it's an extension of communication because, you know, you research shows you hear of moms reading their, their children when they're in, mm-hmm. when they're still in their belly. And then right when they come out, I mean, I've known moms who have said, oh, we started reading at six weeks old. It was read a book, put them to bed. And so it's an extension, even if they're not verbal yet, it's just common ground for that child, hopefully to have some joint attention and some engagement with that other person that's in the room, whether it be the parent or the service provider whoever has grabbed that book at that particular time to use for therapy. Mm-hmm. So it's something familiar to the child when you do reach for that. I think so, too. And then you can also cater it to different ideas. And, mm-hmm. You know, whatever makes that child tick, usually there's a book that fits. Trains, princess, farm animals, zoo animals, you know, whatever that child's interested in. You can usually find something so that sort of can grab them and kind of hold on to them for a second. So today, the we want to sort of focus on three main areas with books. First are what I call my little people in books. You know, when a child first comes into therapy, maybe our little people who aren't really talking yet, two, three-year-olds, one-year-olds, though you really wouldn't use a book with a one-year-old, but pictures, you know, I've, yeah, I mean, they're not identifying pictures or naming pictures, of course, but, you know, anything that grabs their attention, I'll use it. And then let's move to literacy and language. And then let's do articulation, which I'm very excited about because I don't usually use books with a lot of Arctic therapy, so I'm excited to hear about that as well. So I'll just more or less guide the discussion and let y'all tell what you know about that. So let's start with little people because this is what I know the most about. Let's not start with that because that's what I know about, but I'm most comfortable in that area. For my little people, what I do in therapy, I'd love to hear what y'all think, but for my area of little people, my focus on therapy at first is just getting them to look at a book attend long enough or sit long enough to look at a book, that's kind of the first hurdle I've got. So my thought at first is usually I've got, I'm sort of envisioning a situation where you've got a little child who you got switch therapy activities with a lot. You're moving from one thing to the next pretty quick because their attention span is really short. And so with books, I usually have to add some other kind of thing to them, like my Play-Doh idea, or I hide pictures, which there's not like an individual book, but individual flashcards. I may hide them in sand to get them to find the picture and like, oh, look, we found the ball. Or I'm matching an object to a picture in a book or something like that. Is that kind of how y'all do your people or anything different? Yes. I would say that's how we do things in clinic and in the schools. Um, Just thinking back to clinic therapy, I love books, especially for children who aren't talking yet, who aren't engaging, because it is an extension of hopefully of what they're getting at home. But it's just also that one moment that you want, if you are doing therapy with the parent in the therapy room, it's a good way to model what you want them to do at home. Mm -hmm. So the child may not be attending to the book. They might not have joint attention right there. They might not be pointing to pictures. But when you have a late talker or you have somebody that's not getting prepared, quote unquote, for circle time in the preschool class or for circle time in the kindergarten class, that is a skill that needs to be practiced over and over and over again. So at the end of the therapy session, at the end of the day, 
it's a wonderful thing to have a book and, if anything, model to the parent, as well as hoping that the child is going to have some language comprehension or expressive during that session that you're with them, but more importantly, that you have modeled for that parent what you need for them to do every day for that child to get communication rolling and social interaction and engagement. So I find them very helpful for the birth to five age range. Yep. Other therapy ideas, you know, I think all that stuff you said, I agree, because it's an easy, real functional way to transfer stuff home or to carry over to home. And it's a very easy way to model, I think, too. You know, like you said, and also an easy, quick way to show the parents, hey, this is what you do, and this is how you interact with your child, communicate with. I've even dealt with a lot of young mothers sometimes, and this is when I've done more home visits, but young mothers who weren't really sure how to exactly read to their child. You know, maybe the child wouldn't sit there for a long time, and they couldn't read the words in the book, but sometimes just pointing out, you know, you don't have to read any of the words. You just point out, there's a dog, there's a cow, there's a whatever, you know, and then the dog says, Woof, you know, whatever. So I've done a lot of that in the past, and sometimes I that's where those like newspaper circulars or magazines or things like that come into play. Because again, you don't have to have the fancy books to do that. You can just have anything with a picture on it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think with the younger ones, it's a lot about the pictures and the vocabulary in it. And I think a lot of these parents think that, oh, they have to listen to every single word, which is not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, because little ones, a lot of the little ones, they can't sit still. So I think these parents just need to know, like you said, how to use the book and how mm-hmm. to build their vocabulary. And mm-hmm. and a book is really good. I'm taking a little step further for just assistive technology. If you do have a child yeah. that has some severe gross motor and fine motor issues, you know, I've pulled in a book before, maybe co-treat with the OT or the PT and used an assistive technology device, maybe just, you know, very low tech, a Big Mac, and you program turn page. So you may just be working on cues that mm-hmm. you just want that child to attend long enough, um, whether it's through eye gaze or if they're able motorically to, to hit the device. You know, a book is great because it's appropriate for the classroom. It's appropriate for goals that you may have set for them at home. And it could be not all about the vocabulary. You could just be teaching when you want them to communicate to you, turn page or more book. You know, and you mm-hmm. can program that on a assistive technology device. And it's very clear cut and very easy to take data to see if those goals are being met. That reminds me of a couple of different classrooms I've worked in. We had kids who were very motorically involved, and they mm-hmm. could not really get on the floor a lot with their peers. They were in a chair, or they were in a special seating situation or whatever. They couldn't really get right on with all their peers. But a lot of times what we did was have the child have the Big Mac to turn the page of the book so that when the classroom got like brown bear, brown bear, you know, brown bear, brown bear, what do you see? I see a red bird looking at me. And then it would pause, and so the whole classroom had to wait for that child to hit Big Mac to turn the page. So it kind of helped them interact with their peers and also kind of gave them a sort of in-charge situation, which they very rarely had the opportunity to be in charge. Sometimes those kids are a little bit more involved, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the page, they didn't get turned until they hit the Big Mac, turned the page. And so the other little friends were like, you know, turn the page, whatever the child's name was, you know, and turn the page and they would hit the Big Mac and kind of gave them that interaction with the other kids, which I thought was really cool. And so you can use books for that too. And it's a good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. And they, and they functional. Were so proud of themselves. They were so yeah, proud. Exactly. And I was proud. It was just a good day, several yeah. good days, because they would always be in charge of the book. So some other things I've done with my little people with books are a lot of times I find my people, I don't know about you guys, but I find 
I have my little people who can't pay attention to the books at all very well. And then they kind of move to a little different stage where they can start to attend a little bit, but they're not really attending to pictures to name them or identify them. So I usually have to combine an object with the book. So sometimes I use my Play-Doh, like I said, my Play-Doh idea. But then other times we have these little Usborne books now that we're using in therapy and they have a wind-up toy in them. So one will be a pirate ship or we have like a train or a bug or a car or an airplane or there's a ton of them, a ton of different kinds. Anyway, they're made by Usborne Books. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can go to our website at www.pediatricdt.com, click under therapy, products and toys, and then click under books and you'll see these. Anyway, they're Usborne Books and they have little wind-up toys. So the little wind-up toy thing, he goes through the book and at first the child's all about the wind-up toy, but then eventually it turns into, they start paying attention to the pictures in the book. So I've used that. I've also used, before I had the wind-up books, I used like little figures, like I'd have a cow and he'd, you know, I'd have him walk through the different pages of the book. Oh, look, the cow. And I mean, sometimes it didn't even relate. Like sometimes, oh, the cow's jumping on the ball or some the cow's drinking the milk or whatever, you know. It's just whatever object I could find at the moment to help me out with my book. Then they eventually move on to pictures and they move on to naming and identify them. And then they move on to more language and literacy, which is y'all's area of expertise versus my area of expertise. So help me out with this one, because once kids are able to start talking and using whole complete sentences, they get too smart for me and I move them on. <laughs> <laughs> really, <laughs> not getting that. So help me understand, like, reading a story. I mean, I read a story to kids, and I get why you would read a story to a child and how you would use all that. But how do y'all do with reading a story? I mean, give me some of your perspective on that. I think it kind of depends on, number one, the child and what they're working on, how Mm -hmm. I start out the story. Mm -hmm. You know, some kids you might have to chunk it, do it in different chunks. Mm -hmm. And then some kids you might be able to read the whole entire story and then do like the comprehensions and the extension activities for the book. So Mm -hmm. I think it just kind of depends on the kid, too, how I approach it. But I will say that's one of the things that I love about using a book in therapy is I feel like I can use one book for K through second grade or preschool through second grade a Mm -hmm. lot of times. And I can use it for several therapy sessions. So like you pick a book a week or a theme a week or something like that? I could probably use a book for a good two weeks Mm -hmm. with different extension activities to go along with it. I mean, some of the things I think about automatically are like asking questions, answering questions. Of course, the easy thing that everybody thinks about, identifying pictures, naming pictures, you know, verbs, using verbs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Retelling the story, main idea, supporting details. So give me some examples of books you've used and maybe an activity you've done with them or something. Some of my favorite books that I love to use are the Little Old Lady series. There was a little Mm -hmm. old lady who swallowed a book. Those Mm -hmm. are some of my favorite ones, and I think I have one for each season. Do you really? (laughs) I have There Was an Old Lady Who Swallowed Leaves. There Was an Old Lady Who Swallowed a Bat, Who Swallowed a Bell. So I think I have one for probably every season, and it's great, too, because Mm -hmm. I have so many kids that work on sequencing in the schools, and I feel like Mm -hmm. and retelling Mm-hmm. Right. And they're easy um, to adapt. I've seen therapists take books like those books you're speaking of and 
adapt it so easily in a classroom if they have a, a separate setting where the children are limited verbally, but they can manipulate pictures and match. I've seen them quickly take apart a book and manipulate it such that all the children can participate in the story. They understand the story, but they may not be able to identify all the pictures just by flipping the pages and having somebody read it to them. So it's just easy to manipulate those pictures and hand them that picture and give them a choice of three you know, for fall or autumn, but they're right there in front of them, so you're just able to adapt it quickly. I agree. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. So, and one of the things that, just comprehension, I think if you just have a book with your entire caseload, if you just think about your caseload in general in the schools in, and even in the clinic, if you're set on a book that you know right off the bat addresses so many goals that you're trying to accomplish with the children on your caseload, it's so diverse. I mean, you can really just go through very easily and let it also carry over in the classroom, carry over at home. But it's just so diverse to be able to sit down with one book and go, oh, well, I know that these concepts are here, and he's verbal, he's reading, his comprehension's a little off, so I'm really going to focus in on, mm -hmm. you know, these particular pages that are loaded with vocabulary, and then, you know, I'm going to get Johnny till the end because I want him to retell, you know, the story. So you can probably cover an entire caseload with, with one book. I mean, that doesn't always happen because you're across grade levels, but... It's just easy to plan therapy with books that you're excited about. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things I love so much mm -hmm. about it. And plus, it's minimal planning time for you, mm -hmm. too. I mean, you know, you have one book that you're using, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you can use it for a majority of your students that you have on your caseload. Right. And the big push now in the schools is inclusion and collaboration with your educators that you're working with daily. And to be able to take even a book that they're working on in the classroom. I mean, I've taken stories that they may be working on specifically out of a fourth grade curriculum, and we read that story. It's applicable to what they're working on in the classroom. You're addressing the comprehension goals. You're addressing the sequencing. You're addressing all the things that they want you to do in your setting, but at the same time, you and the teacher are giving that child, for lack of a better term, a double dose of that story. Mm -hmm. So they're able to really feel more successful in the classroom and definitely be more successful if they're getting two different interpretations of that story from two separate professionals. So it's just altogether a very good way to do things, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, and I've used them that way before where you carry out the story that they were doing in the classroom to the therapy and carry mm -hmm. over. Or I've done it before where I've introduced books like in Circle Time and said, okay, well, let's work on this goal you know, that maybe the child, I mean, I had a couple of kids in that class that were doing the same type of thing. And I've said, okay, let's target this. And the whole classroom did it, but it didn't hurt anybody. You know, like if we were working on getting to use certain sounds, you know, I've done it where we've used the book and we've, or different movements, you know, I've done it where we're working on verbs and we, the whole classroom worked on verbs and stuff and it didn't hurt anybody to work on a few of them, you know, kind of thing, mm -hmm. same thing. So I've done both ways. I know I'm talking about a little bit younger group than you were talking about just then, but still in the classroom and using books. Yeah. 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 When you are working in the classroom or in a contract site, I love books because there are some demands 
in every setting, whether it's school age or preschool, the teacher has an idea of what she wants to accomplish. And with and our little children that have language issues or our tick issues or any type of communication issues, it's a struggle. It's hard for them to keep up sometimes with everybody in the classroom, especially if you have a classroom full of 20 to 25 children. So when we take a book and we pull it out into our therapy sessions and we're working on, you know, they're possibly could be working on seasons. They could be working on just various concepts that they've introduced to the classroom. And our challenge children, they, they may not be able to understand it one on 23, but we're key. Speech pathologists are so key if we can pull in literacy into our session because we're basically teaching and reteaching them how to comprehend the story, how to comprehend the lesson that are in the textbooks that the teachers are teaching to you know, 23 other children. So there's so many different activities that could take the stress off them in the regular classroom that we could accomplish in our, you know, one-on-one or one-on-three setting with the children. And some of those, you know, a good example, Candace, you had right now, you're in fall. So could you tell us some activities that you're using specifically with children that are having language issues and they kind of need to back up and get a foundation of the language so they can comprehend what's going on in the classroom. Yes. Some of the things that I like to do is I like to kind of see where they're at as far as their vocabulary first when we start a story. And one of my stories that I love to use in the fall time is the little old lady who's not afraid of anything. I have some additional language activities that go along with it that you can do like comprehension questions, and I have story props that go along with it that I like to get the kids involved. And, you know, as you go through the story, the little old lady, she comes across different things. Like she comes across shoes, she comes across a scarf, and at the end, it all makes a scarecrow. But I have little props for them, so I can pass them out to them. And so they have their own little part in the story. So it's really engaging for them. And then I also use the props at the end. So that way they can sequence what she saw first, what she saw next and Mm. what she saw last. That's so good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is good. And then some of the other additional language activities that I have is I have like regular and irregular plurals that goes along with the book for, you know, shoes and nice. I also have prepositions comparing and contrasting, you know, how things are the same, how things are different from the vocabulary, from the story. Nice. So Those are all great ideas. You got a lot of good stuff out of that thing, too. Sequencing, verbs, um, plurals. Prepositions. Mm-hmm. Prepositions. Mm-hmm. Associations. Mm-hmm. I also love to use books in articulation therapy. In the beginning, I will either make a list of words that have the children's target sound in them, or I like to give them a buzzer or something to use maybe while I'm reading the story, or they could raise their hand. So, you know, when you hear your sound, you know, hit the buzzer. And depending on what level they're at, you know, I can stop the story. If they're at the word level, I'll have them say the word five to 10 times. Hmm. And, you know, if you have 10 words in the book that have their, say they're working on L sound, I mean, that's 100 productions in one session. If you're having them say it 10 times. So really, I mean, it's really effective for articulation therapy, too. And then also, you know, it's educationally relevant. See, that's just the genius of Candace right there. The genius. That's just genius ideas. That's all that is. Because the buzzer. I love that. I don't think of the buzzer thing before. That's that's rocking. I've not done that. No. 
But mm-hmm. I love it. That's awesome. And you're right, because you do have to think about the number of productions you have in a session. So you don't want the activity you're doing to get in the way of the fact that we're supposed to be making advancements and meeting goals in the session. And also, I love it because it's functional. So you're not giving, coming up with this arbitrary list of words, you know, lemon, licorice, whatever, you know. And it's functional because it's part of the book, and it's fun. And it's got to be fun. It's fun. It fun. That's just the genius of Candace. I don't know what kind of buzzer you've used, Candace, but I know we've got buzzers and Educational Insights make some really good buzzers, and they make like a bing-bong or a eh, or a whatever kind of buzzer noise. But you're just talking about any kind of buzzer, anything. Any kind of buzzer. That's just fun, too. Kids love like a quack and duck or I don't know, whatever. But, like an easy button. Exactly. <laughs> that is an easy button. I've seen an easy button used for various things. Some kids just like that little red easy button. That's a good idea. Mm-hmm. That's a really good idea. So what other Arctic ideas? See, that's, I don't usually use books for articulation, so this is, this is good stuff. I love this. Any other articulation ideas or phonology ideas? I don't know. Well, I think when you're past word level, sentence level, and you're at the reading level, I know with my older kids, my fourth and fifth grade kids, you know, one sound to go, two sounds to go. Most time it was vocalic R. We would pull in a book that they were reading in their classroom that they were required to read. The whole class was required to read. So we would literally take our session and they would go through and read a paragraph and they'd have to go through and identify what words they just used that had their sound. And we'd work on placement. We'd work on just sound identification, training their ear. Did you hear that when you were reading? Did it sound okay to you? How do you think we can make that better? For our older kids, the books are great because in their mind, they're being so efficient. You know, they're thinking, sweet, I got one chapter read for homework. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So I really use it as kind of a reinforcement because a lot of fifth graders and middle schoolers, they're not wanting to come to speech very often. Mm -mm. But if you pull in a book and you allow them to understand that you're going to try to accomplish more than one goal, not just speech therapy, but maybe get a chapter read in the book they're required to read, they're a little bit more motivated. Mm -hmm. So the Arctic, there's several things you can do. Like Candace said, you could highlight, they could write them down. They could use a buzzer if they wanted to. The options are endless, but I found that Books are very valuable for our older elementary, middle school children. Well, you know, that's a good point because you're the one, Kim, who told me about using the book for the like a feedback app so that the child can have feedback, like the auditory feedback as they're mm-hmm. reading because they can hear themselves. Oh, you're the one, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're the one who told me about that with a vocalic mm-hmm. R. And I actually have used the book that way based on what you told me to do with it. And that actually has worked really well. It's just an app where you get auditory feedback. Right. And then so the child can hear themselves. It's just after they talk. I think you can decide how long you want the delay to be, like just a couple seconds or up to 30 seconds, or I think that's the top maybe that you can go to is 30 seconds. Anyway, they can hear themselves. So as they read the paragraph, they can hear themselves. Mm -hmm. The auditory helps them. Usually for the kids, I've used it at the child at a conversational sentence conversation level. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it where helps they're... with self-monitoring mm-hmm. big time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kim's the one who talked about that. That was good. Mm-hmm. Yep, with a book. I hadn't thought about that killing two birds with the homework thing. <laughs> yeah. That would have been smart a long time ago if I figured that out. Yeah, I, I used to do that a lot. I don't know if you call that manipulation, but it worked. It, hey, it worked with them. It's called getting the job done is what mm-hmm. I call it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's called meeting goals, making progress. Let's make it happen. Mm-hmm. That's right. So what other book ideas do we have? Another resource that I found on Teachers Pay Teachers is a book list by Speech Sounds, and I found it from the blog Speech Musings, and Mm. she has actually listed out six books per speech sound, including early developing sounds like P and B. 
and then all the way through R and TH. It's a great resource, and I'd love to own every single one of the books. It would be great. Seriously. Like, give us a couple of, tell us, give us a couple. Um, for the G book list, there's Go Dog Go, mm. Good News, Bad News, Good Night mm-hmm. Moon, which is another favorite of mine. Uh-huh. My Gum is Gone and Dig. Huh. So there's six books per sound. So. How smart is that? That's really good. Brilliant. And it's so functional. I love that. I know I said that already, but I really do love that. That's mm-hmm. great. Dang, I wish I'd figured that out. That was good. So I talked a little bit about early language and books and with our, my little people. And then Candace talked a little bit about articulation and books and some language ideas that she had. Kim, why don't you talk to us a little bit about literacy and books and how those two work together and what your thoughts are on that. Okay. Well, when you start getting into therapy for school-aged children, you know, we've had um, some children that are in therapy. You know, we have birth to five where we could treat. Obviously, then they get into the schools and they could be receiving private therapy, but they could be receiving speech therapy or in the classroom. And that speech therapist is a, a vital part of that team to help collaborate and communicate issues that are going on with that child from a language standpoint, but also their foundation for language is going to give the the team that's working with that child to make sure they're learning and having a positive educational experience. It's really going to give them a good idea where they are with reading, writing, spelling, with their literacy. And if they have a minimal foundation, if you will, or they're slower at communicating and getting all the linguistic concepts that are the building blocks for reading and writing. The speech pathologist is going to have to become a team member and work with the literacy coach, work with the teacher, work with anyone in that building that might be a special ed teacher, a resource teacher, to make sure that literacy is incorporated in their therapy so that everybody involved is obtaining the same goals. And you do that by obviously you're pairing up and you're getting a language therapy, a good example. And the best way I know how to explain it is to give you an example. Um, I had a young man in fourth grade, and I was right across the hall from this teacher, his fourth grade teacher, and he was, in my opinion, severely dyslexic. He could not read, but auditorily he could understand everything that you said in that classroom. If that teacher read that book out loud, this young man could answer the questions quickly and his hand will be the first up to answer the question pertaining to the book. But you put print in front of him and he could not read it. So what I did, and he did struggle in language, but it it was misinterpreted as a language delay or as language disorder because he couldn't read it. So I had to almost reverse my roles and bring him in and using his auditory strengths and introduced the linguistic concepts that he had because he had the concepts, but he didn't know how to show that in the classroom because he couldn't read it. So my goal was to use the strengths that he had for language, the strengths that had been misinterpreted, so that he could learn how to read. And so it was, I guess, I don't know if twofold is a correct terminology for that, but I had two goals in mind that year, and that was one, we were going to strengthen written language skills, number one, and number two, he was going to learn how to read something, even if it was just by sight reading, but I wanted him to be able to read that print. So my language activities were crucial if I brought in literacy that would only help him be able to read and write and keep up with his peers in the classroom. Yeah, that's great. And then how to change your role and 
And right. sometimes how you have to sort of have to modify what you do. Right. You pluck the vocabulary out mm-hmm. of the story. Well, he understood what each word meant. If you said, well, you, you know what that means. Have you seen this? You've seen someone do this at the grocery store. Then, you know, he, oh, yeah, I know what that means. That is blah, blah, blah. But in print, in writing, he couldn't read the words, so he couldn't give you the meaning. So I had to use his skills as knowing what things were in a functional setting, in a real-world setting, get him to express it, give him to understand it, and then put print in front of him so he obviously could associate the print with the concept. Mm. So literacy is key. I get real passionate about it. I don't know if you can tell, but yeah. I love literacy and language. And so it was key that I knew how to do both with a strong language background. It only helped him become more successful in the classroom. And that teacher was most grateful because I was trying to help her teach him read at the same time. Yeah, definitely. And see, I love that because it's also pushed back into the classroom. It's real life, and that helps them advance academically, which is what the role of the speech therapist is to help them so they can achieve what they need to achieve academically and in mm-hmm. life and everything else, which is what we talk about all the time here at PDT because you know, we only have a short amount of time to help these little people with whatever their issue is, but we help them with whatever their weak area is, just like you did with that little fella, so they can go and live their life and do whatever you know, like he wants to do with his life. Right. You know? Right. We're the little people who along the way in these little people's lives. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that helped a lot, Kim. Thank you. Because that's not what I do all day long. But isn't that cool that we can work with the same profession and we don't have to do each other? You know, we can do different things all day. Right. So as we wrap up our discussion about books and how to use them in therapy, this has been great. This has been a lot of fun. I think so. I think it's been great. It's so much more fun for me to have people here with me, so I appreciate y'all being here. And now we have our list of books that go with our speech sounds, so you and I can get busy on that. And Kim, you and I can get busy on that and find those books, because that's just cool. I didn't even know that list was out there. Huh. So, Candace, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. You had great stuff. I was happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Like I said, the genius of Candace. And so creative. Very. Very. And the genius of Kim. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I know I do I do for, thank you for being here with us today too Kim I do really appreciate it thank you for having me mm-hmm. and so I will see y'all both really soon and I'll catch everybody on another episode of The Working Therapist thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network if you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 